It's good to see all of you joining us in the room and, and online as well. Uh, we've been in a series entitled Fear Not, where we're talking about that, that our best life is not a fear-filled life. And I want to encourage you to go back and check out the last few weeks. Uh, this week, I was preparing a message and was really excited about sharing what I was going to share. Uh, and I got up in the middle of the night this week and just felt to go a different direction. So what I'm sharing with you today, I really just woke up yesterday morning, probably around four o'clock, and began to put together what I'm going to share with you today. And because I, feel, I felt compelled to speak on something that I really feel like that is on the minds of so many of us and the hearts of so many of us, as many of us have been watching the news and the recent developments of what's going on in the Middle East and with the nation of Israel. Um, and a lot of people don't know what, what, what's going on, what, what do we believe, what's gonna happen next. And people are wondering, is this the beginning of the end and how close are we to the coming of the Lord? And so I wanna take some time today and talk about are we living in the end times? Better yet, is this the end? Now, I must say from the start, to give a disclaimer, I do not claim to be a Bible prophecy expert. There are many great teachers and preachers who have great material that you can study and look into. My heart today is to, is to preach a message to not overwhelm anyone, to not scare anyone, but to teach from a 30,000 foot view a clear and simple understanding of the end times. So today, that's my heart, and I believe that if you would just stay with me today, I think you're going to learn some stuff in the presence of God. Amen, everybody? In 1947, some distinguished and elite group of scientists came up with a thing called the Doomsday Clock. It was a symbol that represents the likelihood of a human-made global catastrophe. In their opinion, this clock was put together as a metaphor for threats to humanity, for unchecked geopolitical tensions or nuclear threats or relational issues, and the clock would move according to how tense the world became. And they would say it is X amount of time until midnight, meaning the end of the world. Now, just to remind you, these distinguished elite group of scientists are secular in thought. These do not, they are not studying the Bible. They are going through what they're observing in culture and society and geopolitical landscape. And they are deciding based on their research what the, when the end of time could come. This is a, a real thing that is going on today. Started in 1947. Well, in the year 1991, the time, what they called till midnight, was at 17 minutes. They called it 17 minutes away till midnight. What they were trying to do was to create urgency to help people understand how severe time has become, how dangerous times have excelled to be. In 2019, they moved that clock to two minutes till midnight. In the year 2023, this year, they've moved that clock to 90 seconds to midnight, the highest threat level they have ever had put in place. And so when we see this, we're reminded that we as Christians are not the only ones sensing what in the world is going on. It's not just us, it's also secular people, people who are not believers, people who are not following Christ, are overwhelmed concerned. They're saying we're 90 seconds till midnight, till the end of time, to nuclear war, till things begin to break and the wheels fall off completely. That, that's what they're believing. And so like many of you, when you feel this concern and this worry, what many of us do, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to think. We don't know what to believe. So where we go is to YouTube. Come on, somebody say amen. Come on, you know YouTube parented you this whole last 10 years, taught you how to fish and how to clean this and how to do, I mean, come on, somebody say amen. And when things get a little unsettled, that's what we do. We go to YouTube and we start wondering what's happening. So we begin to click videos and talk about the end times. We start talking about the destabilization in the Middle East. So we just start watching things and try to piece things together. And how many of you are more confused now than you have ever been about the end times? 
Well, the problem is a lot of these individuals, that's called clickbait. <laughs> they're, they're just posting things that maybe is not well studied or maybe even worse, they're posting maybe personal dreams they had. Maybe they're posting things that their inclination, their personal revelation, their insight, their thoughts, which I'm not saying anybody's a false teacher. I'm not saying anybody's a false prophet, but that is very subjective. That's, that's very loose ground to be building theology on. Some guy that has 13 subscribers on YouTube that said he had a prophetic dream about a headless horse and lightning and a sea of blood. Somebody say amen. That's a little crazy, and I can't track with it, to be honest with you. So I think we have to ask ourselves the question, what is the responsible approach? What, is, what does a responsible Christian do in times like these? I guess the question we need to ask ourselves today in moments like this where we are seeing such uncertainty, where watching the news seems like we're watching science fiction. The question we need to ask today is simply this, what does the Bible say? That's where we're gonna go today. I, I'm sorry we're not gonna go watch your favorite YouTube conspiracy theorist today. We are talking simply straight from the Word of God. More specifically, what did Jesus say about the return of his, of his return? He answers four questions, I believe, in the, in the book of Matthew chapter 24 that I saw yesterday. He answers this question, what are the signs of his coming? When is he coming? How is he coming? What should we do. He answers those four questions. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. And again, let me say, I'm going to do my best to make this as simple. I know many people are on maybe different experiences or maybe some have learned a little more in this area. So some of you probably are thinking, come on, Pastor Ethan, take us to the, the deepest, darkest place in the book of Revelation today. Maybe some of you are like, I don't know what's happening. I want to try to help everybody today. Matthew chapter 24, verse number three. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, tell us when all this will happen. Now let's stop there. Jesus had just finished telling the disciples that all the stones you physically see in Jerusalem in real time, he's talking to them in that present moment, will one day be toppled on top of each other. They've never heard anything like that, so they asked Jesus, when will these things happen? And then they asked, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So notice, they asked two questions. Jesus answers both questions in the book of Matthew. I don't have a lot of time today to decipher through this, but the book of Matthew, excuse me, the chapter of 24 of the book of Matthew, Jesus answers several, he goes for quite a while but he answers several questions. And what you read in Matthew 24 is not necessarily in chronological order. The first few verses talk about the return of Christ, what we're gonna talk about today. The second portion of the book of Matthew talks about the desolation of Jerusalem, when Jesus said when the stones won't be on top of each other, which we know according to history and any study Bible that you have will inform you happened in A.D. 70, 50 something years after this conversation. So many people read the second part of Matthew 24 of thinking that it is referring to end times. It's actually referring to a very soon coming prophetic event that Jesus is prophesying about the city of Jerusalem to be destroyed. A.D. 70, the Jeruz Jerusalem in Israel was sieged by the Roman government, was overthrown. Na Israel ceased to be a nation that day and was reestablished as a state nation and was even voted in as the UN May the 14th, 1948. So the, so that portion of scripture is talking about Israel, their personal battle with Rome. Right above that, what we're working through, it talks about the end times. After he does the part of the end times, he goes, like I said, to AD 70 prophecy, then at the end, he actually talks about the great tribulation and then right back to the end of, of when he returns. Now, 
Does that make a lot of confusion right there already from the start? No wonder there's so much confusion around this topic because things are written in a kind of a mixed order. So I wanna encourage you, when you're reading Matthew 24 to see about the end of times, it's a little bit overwhelming. So he's answering two questions. Verse four, Jesus told them, don't let anyone mislead you. He's saying, this is the sign of the end. For many will come in my name claiming that I am the Messiah. They will deceive many and you will hear of wars and threats of wars. The next three words are huge, but don't panic. If you're taking notes today, that is point number one, don't panic. In moments like this where there is great distress, when we are watching the news or we're seeing our social media feed or we're hearing about babies being massacred, we're hearing about shootings, we're hearing about earthquakes, we're hearing about just in the last few weeks, the things we've seen on the news seem unrealistic. So immediately we begin to feel fear and we then begin to wonder what could happen if that happens here. Jesus says don't panic. Now I want you to listen to me. You have to choose to believe that entire verse together. Many people go straight to fear. Well, he said wars and rumors of wars and the end of times. Yes, he said that, but he also said don't panic. So you're gonna have to believe both sides of that scripture. Don't just be afraid of one. When Jesus said don't panic, because as Christians, here's the reality. The worst thing that could ever happen to you if somebody was to harm you or take your life, I got good news for you. You're in heaven. You're in heaven. That's the worst they could ever do. Jesus said, fear those who can kill the physical, excuse me, never fear those who can kill the physical body, but fear those who can cast your soul into hell. In other words, Jesus is saying that externally they can touch the temporary, but they can never touch the eternal. So don't panic. He goes on a little further, Matthew chapter 24, down to verse six. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Verse seven, nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains, very important terminology, the first of the birth pains, which are more to come. Now listen close, many people could read those signs of the time and say, Pastor Ethan, we could read that at any time and that'd be true. You could have read that 50 years ago. You could have read that 100 years ago. You could have read that 1,000 years ago. There's always been wars and rumors of wars. There's always been earthquakes. There's always been pestilence and issues and crazy stuff going on. And can I tell you, you're absolutely right. These things have always existed. All the signs that Jesus said are gonna come. He says uh, that, that they're gonna happen and we're fully aware that these things have been happening. But he says something interesting at the very end of that verse. He said this, but all this is only the first of the birth pains. Birth pains. Now I don't, just for a moment, when my wife went into labor with our son Judah Paul. I don't know about you men, but when you see that, you never wanna be that. <laughs> and when she, her water broke, and, and there then began, began the, the labor pains. And labor pains, we're talking about, he used the terminology birth pains. In the proper translation, it is birth pains. Other translations say sorrows, but in, in translation, it is birth pains. And the thing about birth pains, and I don't claim to be an expert, but I did observe some things, is that the doctor then begins to time how close together the pains become and how intense they become. So the doctor begins to monitor frequency and intensity. Jesus is saying that the signs of my return are these 11 signs he just gave. And the reason we know that his return is coming is that those 11 signs, yes, though they may have existed since the beginning, 
The difference is as the time approaches of his return, those signs become more frequent and more intense, like labor pains, getting closer and closer and closer to the birth of a child. So these 11 different signs given by Jesus become more and more intense and more and more frequent. Are you still with me? Romans chapter eight, verse 22 says, for we know that all creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That means that the earth itself will enter into its own time of birth pains, and I believe we're seeing that, which will manifest through the signs that I'm going to give you. Jesus then continues, he says, verse nine through 12, then you'll be arrested, persecuted, and killed, you will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and, be, and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. Doesn't that sound like today? Now, in his book, Rick Renner, a book called Signs You'll See Just Before Jesus Comes, he begins to break down 11 of those signs. And just quickly, I'm gonna walk through those. The first one was nation against nation. Did you see that? Now, when we read that, we immediately think border nation comes against another bordered nation, like an identified group of people that have an allegiance to a country, have a governmental system. Actually, the word nation in the Greek is ethnos, where we get the word ethnic, depicting the picture that the groups that are fighting is not a nation like we think of it. It's actually ethnic groups fighting ethnic groups racially motivated conflict. Are we seeing that today? The word against in this scripture is the word that depicts one group trying to gain superiority over another. This also gives ideas to religious wars or ideological wars. Here's what we're seeing today. In the United States of America, we have racially divided country right now. Not a vibrant church, amen? But all over our nation, people are fighting and debating and there's race wars and everybody's this and everybody's that. I'm trying to help you see it's happening in the United States of America. But the current war we're seeing in Israel, to my, I'm understanding, and I could be wrong, and I'm not a professional up here with this, but what I'm seeing is that Hamas is not wanting land, they're wanting to destroy the race of the Jewish people. So what you and I are seeing in this verse is happening with more intensity and more frequency in our world today. The next one, kingdom against kingdom. Now this refers to a dominion or a government or a power or an influence that is trying to take over with allegiances, uh, alliances and parties and uh, ideological factions. This is what we're seeing with kingdom against kingdom. The next one, earthquakes. There's always been earthquakes, we know that. But in the past 40 to 50 years, our records show that we have exceeded the long-term average number of major earthquakes by over a dozen times. We have, if you just study, just Google it, you can go to a .gov website where they will explain this, that the last 50 years all over the world, there have been more intense, in their own words, more intense and more frequent earthquakes all over the planet Earth. Jesus prophesied this in Matthew chapter 24. Here's another one, pestilence. This is diseases, this is, uh, this is where we are seeing in culture, I mean, I don't wanna get on the COVID train today, but we see that through our culture of, of variants and different things we need and different shots and different sicknesses and different illnesses. Here's, in the first time in the world history, have a world lockdown within the last two years of our lives. We saw something that no other generation has ever seen, all because of pestilence. Here's another one, famine. This one's interesting to me because when we read this with probably a Western mindset, we think there's no rain, there's no crops, there's no food coming. What famine could mean, it could mean a, a Breakdown of the food supply chain. How many of you remember during COVID or the recovery time during COVID that when you went to the store to just get mayonnaise, you couldn't find mayonnaise? It wasn't the end of the world. It was just a breakdown of the food chain of just getting food to the cities where they needed to be. 
So you can see how fragile that system really is. 122 million more people are hungry in, in the year 2019 than in the year 2018. That famine and hunger is a sign of the time. Many believe that this could represent, represent economic, the economic system. That famine at that time was by, and actually if you read it in the Greek, it means a shortage of grain, which was their economic system. How America before the 1970s was on the gold standard, they were on the grain standard. And when grain wasn't present, it would destabilize their economic system. That's the idea. Many believe that this could represent the economic system, economic shortfalls, deficits, famine that could, that could destabilize the global economy. Are you still with me? Here's another one. Persecution. Persecution, political correctness, stereotyping. We're seeing this in the United States of America. Uh, persecution has been all over the world. The last 10 years, 100,000 Christians die every single year for their faith. Christians, uh, the Christian Post said that in 2015, there are potentially, listen to this, 215 million Christians that are facing the affliction of persecution today. 215 million in other cultures and different places other than America. Thank God, America's not perfect, but it could, I think it's getting worse, but thank God we live in a free nation. But I will say, because of the spirit of political correctness, I won't get, my, get myself in trouble, but I don't care, is that there are these stereotypes and political correctness against Christians in the United States that is beginning to develop. And I'll give you a point, I'll give you a point is that America, it's so crazy right now that you can be a man, dress up as a woman, get in women's sports, and be called brave. But if you're a Christian who loves the Bible and goes to church, you're considered ignorant and uninformed and judgmental, like that ain't right. Something ain't right right there. Persecution. It's the beginning seed of persecution. Here's the next one, offense and betrayal. How many of you know right now it is trendy to be mad? They call it an outrage culture. We're gonna cancel people. We're not gonna like this person. We're not gonna go to this business. We're gonna cancel this actor. We're gonna look back. I can't believe they did this in 1972. And then it's just everybody's mad. Everybody's a victim. Everybody's offended because it's so trendy to be the victim. Here's another one, turning away. This means turning away from the faith. Right now, according to ratio to population in the United States, this is the lowest church attending generation that has ever existed since the founding of the United States. You know, the Bible prophesies before the coming of the Lord there will be a great falling away. And I'm not saying this dogmatically, but it could be that since COVID, they say that 40% of people never return to church. I'm not saying that's the great falling away, but it does seem pretty interesting to have such a big, what else has done that in the last 100 years? Here's another one, deception. I think we all understand this. We're living in an era of mass misinformation, fact-checking, news outlets, social media. They call it the age of truth decay. We're living in a time of great deception. Here's another one, rampant sin. This is Jesus' words, not mine. Paul says it's lawlessness. Now, many of you can pause and be like, okay, Pastor Ethan, I know I'm tracking with your list and this is cute, but sin has always been here. And I will tell you, you're exactly right. The things that are grotesque in our culture have always existed. The things that Bible calls sin has been here since the beginning of man. There's things in our culture today that's a little taboo and just give me a minute to talk about it. But the Bible does teach us that homosexuality is still sin. I'm not being hateful, I'm not being ugly, I'm just telling you the truth. I, I don't know what else to do when I'm up here. Would you want me to say something other than what that says? <laughs> I don't know what you want. The Bible does teach that life is valuable, that abortion that is murder, and I'm not shaming anybody who's ever had, that's made that decision, but hear me today, God offers forgiveness and he loves us and we're glad you're here and we love you, but as a pastor, I need to disciple my people and let them know that there are still things in 2023 that is sin. But hear me, hear me, this is important. The difference between the times before and now is that, let me say it like this. There's always been sin, the argument is not if it has existed in society. 
It is, the argument is that it shouldn't be endorsed by the government. Because the moment that the top then endorses it, I believe it releases the spirit of that sin in the, nat- in the nature of our government or in our, in our society. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. But in 2023, it is blessed is the nation whose political party is the most politically correct and the least offensive and wants to just do whatever their flesh wants to do. And I'm not picking a party because half of them are corrupt. All of them. Let's just say that. Let's make it easy. Rampant sin. It's all in Washington is where it's at. All right, let me move on. That one was a definitely not spiritual. Here's, here's the last one. I'll hit this one is indifference. Because of iniquity, the Bible says the love of many will grow cold, Jesus said. So it, it means to progressively become more and more hateful. It is a desensit- becoming desensitized. It is becoming numb and careless. It is indifference. So I was watching this week on the news, and they were, you know, think of this, a secular media talking head said that they're concerned that the images that are coming out of the Middle East that we're seeing in the West are not moving us because we've seen so many things in movies and websites and things that we're not moved by the beheading of babies. We're not, this is a secular person talking and I'm saying, yes, yes, it's a spirit that Jesus said we've grown cold because of our iniquity in the land. Come indifferent. So these 11 signs given by Jesus, I think we can all agree, are increasing in frequency and increasing in intensity. These signs have been going around all of us. My first point today is this, don't panic. Point number two, be aware. Be aware. These signs that we just spoke about are the alarm clock and not the appointment. These are the alarms in the air letting us know, hey, something's up. Jesus said, these are the signs that you know that my return is near. You will hear these 11 things. They're gonna increase like childbirthing pains. The alarms are going off. So, you know, here at the ministry, we have a, a full appointment, full full schedule. We're very busy at times and, and, and just trying to navigate that. So my wife and I have a shared calendar with our assistant, Lindsay, um, and so she's always helping us navigate things here at the church and meetings and, and staff things and, and travel, and there's a lot goes on at times. And, and uh, not long ago, a couple in our church asked me to marry them, and, and I can't marry everybody that comes, but, but this particular couple picked a random day to get married. They picked a Thursday at five o'clock. I'm like, shoot, I guess everybody's available on a Thursday at five. So they asked me to do their wedding, and they're actually sitting in here right now, Jesse and Amber right here. Wave your hand, everybody. Just wave your hand. There you go. They asked me to do their wedding. Well, on that Thursday, you know, I came home. I put on my shorts and fired up the grill, and, and, and I hear my phone beeping. It's like, beep. I'm not listening to it. Just beep. Just informing me of something. I wasn't even listening to it. And then all of a sudden, my wife comes out on the porch holding her cell phone. She's like, Lindsay's on the phone. I was like, what is it? She goes, you're supposed to be at that wedding. (laughs) And I looked at my clock and it was 10 after five. Exactly. (laughs) 10 after five. I told Lindsay, tell him I'm dead, I'm coming. Tell them I was in a car, tell them anything. I'm on, I wasn't showered. Listen, I'm not making this up. I've never gotten ready that fast in my life. And to God be the glory, there wasn't a cop in Caledonia. <laughs> Highway 45. Those cotton fields were just as shaking when I drove by them. Drove by. Thank God I did make it to the wedding. I want you to know, I think we got a picture. I made it. I, did, couldn't, I couldn't get the dress pants on, but I got, we got there. We got them married. That was, a, that was a crazy, but, but that's never happened before with a wedding. I will tell you one more. I didn't tell last service, but one time I was, I was with some other pastors, we were going out to eat, and again, it was a Saturday morning, and I had everything laid out on the table. 
This is before I was, before I was here uh, of the message for a funeral I was supposed to do at a graveside on a Saturday morning. This is a true story, and Pastor Josiah was with me. We were in Ohio, and we're going to this, uh, this restaurant to eat breakfast, and I totally forgot about that funeral. Totally forgot. Right? This is horrible. That's why I need to have Lindsay and an assistant and my wife like, I'm sitting, we're pulling in. Remember this? Pulling into this place to eat. And my phone rings and I look and it is the name of the person's granddaughter or something. And when I was like, as soon as I did, didn't I go, pull over, pull over the car. (laughs) Did I not? I jumped out of the car. I answered the phone. They said, hey, Pastor Ethan, we're by the oak tree. Is that your truck? I'm like, oh, not even close. (laughs) Promise. They thought my truck, they thought, I was like, that ain't me, not even close. I was like, listen, her name was Sabrina. Or is Sabrina? I said, Sabrina, listen, I am 40 minutes away. I said, I am not going to make it unless, if you guys can wait. Can I tell you something? They didn't wait. (laughs) (laughs) Here's my point. Lindsay puts in our calendar. The alarms go off. The day before that funeral, I have everything laid out, everything to alert me about my appointment. But if we keep ignoring the alerts and ignoring the alarms and ignoring the signs of the time and ignoring the wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and ignoring all the alarms that are signaling, hey, something's up, then we will not be ready. Are you hearing me today? Now is not the time for us in the church to be arguing about denominations and arguing about church style. Now is not the time to be inconsistent as a Christian. Now is not the time to be faithless. Now is not the time to be offended. Now is not the time to be lukewarm. Now is the time with the sounds of alarms going around in our culture and in our society that we're gonna have to decide whether we're gonna be red high or we're gonna be cold, but we can't be lukewarm right now. The Bible says to make your calling and election sure. Be confident. The alarm is going off, he said. Jesus Jesus is informing them what it's gonna be like when I come. The next question is really how, how is he coming? How is he coming? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15. Paul writes, we tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. Stay with this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the air air will be caught up in the clouds to, sorry, King James Version is still in my head, up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Now I want you to listen what this is. The imagery given on the return of Christ, he comes down with a commanding shout, stays in the clouds. Those who are dead in Christ, meaning those who had faith in Jesus before their death. The Bible says they will resurrect out of those graves and they will ascend into those clouds to be forever with the Lord. And then the second train out of here are those of us who are alive and remain, who are have faith in Christ. At that moment, we are what the word is caught away. Some use the word raptured, what a catching away. At that point, we are raptured from the earth to meet in the air those who have gone on before us and be with Jesus Christ himself, he says, forever. Isn't that something? Isn't that encouraging? We will forever be with the Lord. It's encouraging to me. So some of you may have aunts and uncles or mothers and fathers who have gone on 
in the Lord before. Can I tell you today that when there is a day coming, the alarms have been going off, and there's been signs and signals from heaven letting us know that the earth is groaning, and one glad morning, when this life is over, when the trump of God shall sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise, we shall forever meet him. And your mother and father are gonna see you, they're gonna hug you, you're gonna celebrate, because now every tear that we've ever shed is over, every pain we've ever felt, every disagreement, every heartache, every broken moment, it's over and we shall be forever. Feels good to know that there is something ahead of us. It's encouraging. And Paul said, encourage each other with these words. Well, what, Pastor Ethan, when is that going to happen? I'm glad you asked. Jesus says it. However, no one knows. Awesome. Thanks, Jesus. No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man returns. He's giving them the idea that when I come, it's gonna be a pretty normal day. Yes, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. Yes, the times will have signs of letting you know that it's gonna get rough, and it could be scary at times, but he said it'll be a day people are distracted, people are preoccupied with their own things, people will be uh, self-interested, people will be scrolling social media on that day. He said it'll be like any other day. Could be today. It could happen before I end this sentence right here. I'm talking right now. I ain't ended it yet. I could keep going. <laughs> just running the risk. Just trying to help somebody. He says, don't panic. We need to be aware. Number three, we need to be encouraged. Paul said to encourage each other with the words, talking about the return of Christ. It shouldn't scare us. The first century church knew nothing of fear of the coming of Christ. We in America have watched a whole lot of movies, watched a whole lot of YouTube videos, and heard a whole lot of stuff growing up that has us afraid of the return of Christ. But the first century believers, when Jesus said, behold, I come quickly, it was exciting to them. Pastor Ethan, I, I understand. This is gonna, I'm, I want you to listen close. Pastor Ethan, I understand. I understand the signs of the time. I understand. But when I read the Bible, it looks like it's gonna be bad. And, and are we, here's the big question. People wanna know, are we gonna be here for the tribulation? It's a big, a big word in the Bible that talks about a time that lasts for seven years, that it's a bad seven years here on earth. And the question people have is, what's gonna happen? Am I gonna be a part of that? I got kids and I get that. I get that. He says, be encouraged. How could I be encouraged if I'm going to live through the tribulation? Let me show you a verse that I think will help you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10 through 11. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. That verse is telling us that before that great time of testing, he says, I'm going to protect you. Do you know, when Noah built the ark, he tried to tell everybody. He tried to tell everybody about the message. Tried to tell everybody it's going to rain. Tried to tell everybody the wrath of God was coming. Tried to tell everybody. He preached 120 years and only his sons and his wife got saved. Got on the boat. The Bible said once the door closed, then it began to rain. Once God had them in a place, because the Bible says God closed the door, not Noah. When God closes the door, when God pulls his children into safety, then the wrath of God comes. Well, I don't know about that. Okay, Lot and his family, 
They were living in Sodom and Gomorrah, and God says, I am going to curse this city, and it's time for you to go. And the Bible says that once they left the city, then the wrath came. Hey, listen to me. God will not pour wrath out on Christians because he already did on Jesus. I'm not telling us to scare this. I'm telling us to prepare us and that we can be encouraged that, yes, I don't know what gas prices are gonna look like. Yes, and I don't know what they're gonna say and I don't know what's gonna be posted. I don't know what laws are gonna pass. I don't know, but he said, you, in an hour, you don't even know it's coming. Be encouraged because before the wrath of God falls, before I begin the state of tribulation in the earth, the church is going out of here. God's great church. Don't panic. Number two, be aware. Number three, be encouraged. And number four, be ready. Be ready. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will be transformed. We gotta be ready, gotta be ready. I didn't ask if you were religious. I didn't ask if you went to church. I didn't ask if you were in a small group. I didn't ask if you liked the service today. I asked, are you ready? And the only way you're ready is not if you're affiliated with a denomination. I didn't ask if you were ready because you were connected to some good merit and good work and you're a good person. No, you're only ready when you have put your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ and your life is stained with his blood. Because trust me, you don't want to be here. You know, I was thinking about this church and I started thinking, you know, we've seen this building full a bunch. We've seen this building full for Easter's and services and Christmas time and God just parking lots backed up and but I started thinking you know the fullest you'll ever see this building is right after the rapture none of us are going to be here but they're going to try to get in and I say you can bust the windows in I don't care you could turn this into a shelter you could turn this into a barn whatever you got to do here's the reality we ain't going to be here we're going to be in the, the God's great church in heaven. We're going to be united with our family and friends and loved ones and Pentecostals and Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians. We're all going to be together, one big happy family in heaven. You know why you don't want to be here? The Bible teaches the great tribulation. And just quickly, the tribulation is a period that's seven years long. There's so much chaos in the world with with billions, there's documented two billion people on the earth that are Christians. There's somewhere a, a low estimate of 60 to 90 million Christians in the United States. If that many people were to vanish in a moment, it would cripple the world economy. It could cripple it. That's why, for those of you that are maybe more astute, that the United States is not in final prophecy, final last day prophecy in Scripture. Because it is believed, according to Tiff Shuttlesworth, he said that if 90 million Americans disappeared, if people are not working, paying their bills and going to work, America works off the workforce. And if that many people are to disappear, it would cripple America in two days. You don't want to be here. The tribulation period will be so bad that Israel, this is in Bible prophecy. I say this again as a student, not an expert. Bible prophecy experts say that the nation of Israel will sign a treaty with a man called the Antichrist. They won't call him that, but that will be his title in Scripture prophesied as. And for three and a half years, there'll be peace on the earth. That's the last peace they'll ever see. Because that individual renege on that agreement, in the last three and a half years, the Bible teaches, becomes hell on earth. There's beheadings, there's murder, it's chaos. It gets so bad that they end up, the world ends up in a final climatic battle called Armageddon. It's not a movie. It's an actual fact coming. And it will be in the Valley of Megiddo. We've stood there in that valley, in the Valley of Jezreel, in the Middle East, in Israel. That at that moment, the Bible says, 
when the world is coming to an absolute collision course. The Bible says that Jesus Christ will come again. Now hear me, a lot of people mistake this. The rapture is when he catches away the church. The second coming is when he comes at the end of the seven-year tribulation. He comes down, and when his foot, the Bible says, touches the Mount of Olives on the east side of Jerusalem, when his foot, that nail-scarred foot, hits that mountain, the Bible says it splits that mountain from east to west, and he climbs down that mountain, goes into Jerusalem, beginning what is called the millennial reign. And when Jesus steps into the throne, we are immediately reminded that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. And our great King Jesus, I've come to tell you today, you're going to bow now or you're going to bow later. But every tongue on this earth, every atheist, when he stands before God, will drop to his knees and know that he was the king and he was to rule. And if he doesn't rule in your heart later, he's going to rule this earth later. And I've come to tell you today, you got to be ready. You gotta be ready. Our soon coming king, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is still God. He is still king. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's ready to come back. Are you ready? Stay standing with me. This quote said the rapture will change everything. When the rapture occurs, the spirit-indwelled church and its restraining influence will be removed. That will release the world to sin as it has never been seen before. Christians who stood for civic righteousness and law and order will no longer be present exerting their influence. The church's salt and light will be extracted from the earth for a time at least, for a time. Satan will be able to put his plan into full swing by bringing his men on the center stage to take full control of the world. Evil will erupt and expand beyond anything known in the history of man, and it will be like the removal of a huge dam. The world will be, in, in, will be consumed with evil in unim, at an unimaginable scope and severity. But if you're ready, you'll never see any of that. He said, I've come to take you out of this place because you've persevered and you've called on my name and you are ready for my return. So with eyes closed all over the room and you know without a shadow of a doubt, you are ready for our, for our canon king to show up. If you're ready for that meeting in the clouds, I want you to raise your hand and say, I'm ready, pastor. I'm ready. Is there anybody excited about it? He's coming again. I'm ready, I'm ready. Now, if you couldn't raise your hand, this moment is for you. You're surrounded by a bunch of people that are excited. They're gonna walk out of here, looking up in the sky, waiting on it, ready, anticipating. But don't leave here not sure. Don't leave here without accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. So if you're in this room today and you're not ready and you're not sure, the Bible says if any man believes in his heart and confesses with his mouth the Lord Jesus, they shall be saved. And so today, let's just remove the religious idea that you need to be all these things and you gotta be a good little girl and a good little boy and you gotta come to church a bunch. No, no, let's just pause that. Are you saved? Are you saved? And with no one looking around, I say this all the time. I want to say it again. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Good people don't go in the rapture. Saved people go in the rapture. And so today all over this room, I want all of us to repeat this prayer. For those of you that, that feel you're not ready, we're going to pray this prayer together. Believe it in faith. The power ain't in the prayer. The power's in the position of your heart. Are you ready today? Say, dear God, forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean with your blood. Make me a new creature. I want to follow you. I believe that you died, and I believe that you rose again. 
I surrender my life once and for all, and I'm ready for your coming in Jesus' name. Come on, put your hands together. Give God a big praise. Come on, let's worship the King for a minute. He's coming back. He's looking for an excited church, a fire, a fire church. Anybody excited about the coming of the Lord? Just want to remind you that you can give on your way out. We thank God for all your generosity and support. Makes the difference that we can reach our community and change lives with our missions and our local work here at the church. But before we go, let me pray over you today. Father, I thank you that we're ready. We're blood bought, spirit filled. We're ready for the coming of the Lord. We don't know the day or hour but we are excited and we're looking up for our redemption draws nigh. Father, we stand as in unity, excited about the day. But until then, the Bible says, occupy until you come. So we're gonna keep on serving and we're gonna keep raising our kids and we're gonna keep blessing your name and we're gonna keep building the church and we're gonna keep building our businesses and we're gonna keep working because we know that you're coming again and we thank you for it. And some glad morning when this life is over, when those eastern skies split and our family members and our loved ones and our mothers and fathers are joined with the Lamb of God and we come off this earth we can't wait to hug your neck and hold our family and hear the words well done my good and faithful servant in Jesus name come on give him praise give him glory the prayer team to, to join me across the front. If you're one of the people in the room and say, hey, you know, I'd like a little prayer after service. Or if you're sick in your body, you need a little peace, some direction. If you're one of the people that said yes to Jesus today, want to encourage you to make your way down, please tell somebody. We got some material for you to help you along your journey with Christ. So want to bless you today and you can be dismissed. Father, we thank you for our church and I ask that you bless them and you keep them and may, the, may your blessings be upon them and you keep them in perfect peace in Jesus' name. If you believe it today, say amen. We love you, Vibrant Church, and have a great Sunday.